The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by Alumni Ventures. Invest with confidence. Discover the power of venture investing with Alumni Ventures, America's largest venture firm for individual investors. Learn more at av.vc. LinkedIn News. Are you romanced by the idea of giving up the job hunt and being your own boss or being an entrepreneur? Do you wonder if you have what it takes to start your own business? Well, we're talking all about it on today's episode. From LinkedIn News, this is Get Hired, a podcast for the ups and downs and the ever-changing landscape of our professional lives. I'm Andrew Seaman, LinkedIn Senior Managing Editor for Jobs and Career Development, bringing you conversations with experts who, like me, want to see you succeed at work, at home, and everywhere in between. Whenever I write about the struggles that come with looking for work, someone in the comments will undoubtedly say, don't look for work, start your own business. It's a great idea. But let's face it, it's not easy. Well, today we're talking to someone who truly knows what it takes. Liz Elting is a powerhouse. She started a company in her NYU dorm room in 1992. That company is now the world's largest language solutions company with more than a billion dollars in revenue and offices in more than 100 cities around the world. Liz served as the company's co-CEO until 2018. She's also been among Forbes' richest self-made women every year since they started publishing the list. Her new book, Dream Big and Win, Translating Passion into Purpose and Creating a Billion-Dollar Business, is out in September, and she's joining us to pass along some of her lessons. So the reason I wanted to write the book, Dream Big and Win, is when I was in my 20s and I decided to start my company, I thought, okay, I need to find books on entrepreneurship. I have a lot to learn. I did read whatever books I could get my hands on, but I couldn't find a book quite like this. They were usually written by people who had been in business a long time. They were very much how-to books. And I wanted something a little more where the person really opened up and talked about the challenges and talked about not only what to do and how to do it, but what they did wrong and what they learned along the way. I think I wanted something that was authentic, vulnerable, relatable, and I couldn't find it. So fast forward 30 years after I was an entrepreneur for 26 years, built my company, scaled it, and sold it. I loved that time being an entrepreneur. And now I love speaking about entrepreneurship and sharing the lessons I learned. And I do that but why not put them in a book? Of course. And also what's great about that approach is, like you said, there are books out there that are how to start your own business. And a lot of times the issue people run into is that all ideas are different and it's difficult to follow one plan. So when you take the qualitative approach and say, OK, here's how to apply that to your life, it's so much better for the recipient and reader because they could say, I can apply this lesson to my own journey. And I, I also think it's such a wonderful time to be an entrepreneur. I think it's definitely a trend. First of all, it can be very difficult to find a job or find a good job or find a job you love or to find a culture at a company you love. And the culture is critical. It's a wonderful time to start a company. There are quite low barriers to entry. I mean, you can put up a website rather easily. You can market on social media for minimal costs. And you can work remotely in a way that you couldn't years ago. So I encourage everybody to do it because the entrepreneurship journey, it's exciting. It's a ton of hard work, 
but it's fun and you can really achieve your dreams that way. And also, I think the constraints of what we thought careers should be are loosening much more than they were maybe 10, 15 years ago. So it's okay to say, hey, I'm going to do the side project, start my own business. And then, you know, if it succeeds, that's great. If not, you have maybe another career to fall back on. So it's nice to have people realize that careers are not linear. Absolutely. It's not a lifelong decision. The same way if you go and get a job somewhere, it could be just look at the next couple of years, the next year or two. And the same with being an entrepreneur. It's not a lifelong decision if it wasn't the right choice. <laughs> and it's fine to try it. And if it doesn't work out, you learn something. You learn what you like, what you don't like, what you did wrong and what you would do differently. And something that I thought was really interesting about how you approach the topic, because I think a lot of people, they think that you need to have this brilliant idea for an invention or this idea for a service and really run with it. Your book takes the approach that one doesn't have to come before the other. It doesn't have to be that you want to be an entrepreneur or that you have this idea for a product or service. It could be simultaneous, but you don't need necessarily your own original idea to become an, a business owner or an entrepreneur, right? Oh, absolutely. I would say don't confuse being an entrepreneur with being an inventor <laughs> because you still can be wildly successful without inventing something entirely new. That was what happened to me. I basically had worked in the industry realized I loved the industry, but I saw gaps. I saw a problem that could be filled, a way to do it better. I get, working in the industry made me realize there's a real gap between what clients need and what's available in the industry. And I think that's the case with so many successful entrepreneurs. I mean, what Steve Jobs did with the iPhone that was based on the BlackBerry, which was already invented. And he thought, okay, I can do this better. And clearly that worked out well. Another question I have for you, from your own experience, obviously you've built and you ran a company for so long and now you're helping other people and, and mentoring them. What do you think the ingredients for someone to be a successful entrepreneur or business owner? Because I think we all want to say, yes, everyone could do this and everyone probably can. So when you look at someone, what are the ingredients that you say, OK, I think you have it? Definitely, it's a proactive ownership mentality. As they've been working in other jobs over the years, they think like an owner. Like, if I owned this company, how would I do it? And then try to actually do their job as if they were an owner. So people with an ownership mentality, and then, of course, certainly when they start their own company, they have to act like the owner and, and be incredibly service-oriented. Because in the end, that can be the big differentiator in virtually every business. That was the big differentiator in ours. It was to spoil the client with service. Another is someone who's ready to work hard and really put in the hours. Sure, if it's a side hustle, if it's a lifestyle business, you can do a part-time business. And if that's the purpose, a business that's a certain number of hours a week, but it gives you time for whatever else is in your life. But for someone who really wants to dream big and win, it's about being willing to put in the hours and really put aside your other interests and commitments for an extended period of time. But it becomes very fulfilling because you, you're doing what you love, you have a goal, and then you try to work with like-minded people. You have the same mentality, so it can be fun, but being all in is very important. The third thing I would say is really being tough on yourself as far as goals with deadlines. You really need to say, in order to accomplish my goal, and I'm setting forth the, these goals on paper, and that would be long-term goal 
annual goals, monthly goals, daily goals, and then holding yourself accountable as far as achieving them really, really pays off. And so people who are motivated and who are willing to do that are extremely likely to be successful. And I definitely want to get into the idea of dreaming versus doing. But I also want to touch on the idea of risk. There is probably an element of risk that you need to be comfortable with as an entrepreneur, right? Absolutely. I think you do need to get comfortable with risk. Any time is the right time. But if you're young, if you're in your 20s, 30s, you're single, you don't have kids, that's a wonderful time to do it because you then can give it your all, number one, as far as the hours, the commitment. But secondly, you have minimal responsibilities from a financial perspective and you can live on a really tight budget. And that's okay. And that's good. And then there's less risk. But in the end, there is always going to be some risk because you won't have the security of a paycheck at all. But by the same token, as long as you can get by and pay your bills, it's worth it because you may strike it big. And if by chance it doesn't work out, then you learn a whole bunch And then you can move on to your next big idea and try something new. And that's happened to so many successful entrepreneurs. Or you can go get that job at a company and you have better experience because of what you did. Yeah. What's funny is every time I talk to an entrepreneur who has really succeeded and whenever I talk to them about the early days, they'll always sort of tell me that the one thing that they weren't prepared for or didn't realize is how little they had to actually take home for themselves in the beginning. There were so many people that I talked to that said, I didn't pay myself for the first two years. And that always sort of resonates with me. (laughs) Oh, you you know, related to that, it's funny that you said that because, yes, we didn't pay ourselves either for the first few years. And then I remember we finally got our first TV appearance. We were being interviewed on CNN. And she said, so how much are you paying yourselves now? And this was a few years into it. We said $8,000 a year. (laughs) She couldn't believe it, you know, because at that point we had made it to CNN. It was maybe three or four years into it. So basically you find a way, you find a way and it's worth it because if you take almost no money out in the early days and just keep reinvesting in the company, it pays off long-term. And that's actually a wonderful way to really scale a company without getting outside funding, without getting debt. And I'm a huge proponent of that. And it can take longer, but also then you can really create a frugal culture. You don't spend what you don't have. And it makes it so you're profitable sooner because you're not spending money you don't have. And just another thing I would recommend is it's all about sales. Instead of focusing on writing the detailed business plan and then getting investors Instead, focus on sales, sales, sales. In the early days, making 300 phone calls a day. And in our case, it was sending 300 letters. Maybe now it would be sending 300 emails or something comparable. But the point is every day holding yourselves to it and getting those sales. Because if you get the revenue, that's how you're going to build that company. And don't spend too much time on the business plan and working on getting investors. Because even if you do, that's not going to get you the revenue and the profit. And that's what you need to survive and thrive. Yeah. And something that sometimes I pick up on entrepreneurs or people who start their own businesses 
is they want to start their company as almost a mature company. Obviously, you have to be professional. You have to project confidence in your business at any stage. But I notice a lot of people, they end up thinking, my company is going to be established. I'm going to be able to turn away a bunch of customers that I don't want. And what I sometimes want to tell people is when you're first starting out, you really have to cater to whatever customers you get. You really have to bring a really big tent with you. And then as you sort of evolve and you mature, then you can become more exclusive. But really, in the beginning, it's difficult to just jump right to the exclusivity. Oh, absolutely. One of the ways we were able to differentiate ourselves from the competition, I remember some of our competitors, they would say, well, we only take clients that have at least fifty dollars or $75,000 a year in business. And we would never do that. Instead, we did the opposite where we would do a one-page project. But we had competitors who said, oh, no, we don't deal with clients unless they're fifty to $75,000. And our attitude was we bring in that first project, we wow them with client service, and then that project turns into multiple projects, and then the multiple projects turns into a relationship and then a long-term relationship. And so I couldn't agree more. But you're right, in the early days, you have to just take whatever you can get and really build your client base. It takes a long time to establish a, a reputation. Action creates action. And one project turns into multiple projects in a relationship. And then that client can refer you to other clients. There's so many reasons why you have to go through a very tough time for a few years. And then it becomes much, much easier. We'll be right back with Liz Elting after this break. Hey, I'm Michael Kovnat, host of The Next Big Idea Daily. The show is a masterclass in better living from some of the smartest writers around. Every morning, Monday through Friday, we'll serve up a quick 10-minute lesson on how to strengthen your relationships, supercharge your creativity, boost your productivity, and more. Follow The Next Big Idea Daily wherever you get your podcasts. From the minds of visionaries to the desks of disruptors, I'm Laura Schmidt, host of the Redefining Work podcast. Join me each week as we explore the new world of work through the lens of those shaping it. CEOs, HR leaders, investors, and more. Be a part of the conversation that changes everything. Subscribe to Redefining Work today. And we're back with entrepreneur, business leader, and author Liz Elting. The next thing I wanted to get into was the idea of doing versus dreaming, because I think there is a lot of people where they have those dreams and they'll say, I want to do this. But so many people have a difficult time moving from dreaming to doing. What are your suggestions to help people move from that dreaming to doing? Yeah. And that's where it's a case of really being tough on yourself and putting aside your other commitments, your hobbies. No one likes to hear this, but I remember it well. I had gotten my MBA from NYU, and I remember my friends from business school would go out at night for drinks. <laughs> and I'd have to say, I'm sorry, no, I, I'd love to, but I can't. It, instead, it was getting up at 
six or seven in the morning and working till midnight every day, seven days a week. And then they would go to the Hamptons in the summer to a share. I didn't have the money for sure. I had no money, but I also didn't have the time. It was like, sir, I can't do that right now. I'm trying to build a company. And believe me, it's hard. So that's the kind of thing we're talking about, doing what no one else will do, working the hours, working holidays. This is not what people want to hear. But if you do that when no one else is doing it, you can go to the top. It's being tough on yourself, making sure you have goals with deadlines. That first project, for example, you may determine I need to send out a thousand emails to get one project. Then be tough on yourself and hold yourself to those goals with deadlines. And if you're willing to do that, the sky's the limit. I mean, you can be enormously successful. And I really like what you said where you're being invited to go places. You know, it's very common, especially when you're younger, for your friends to say, hey, come on. And when you say, no, I'm building a business, it's that commitment to say, no, but I'm doing it for a good reason. Right. And I have this quote that I've been saying for a while, work today like no one else will, so you can live and give tomorrow like no one else can. And that's the concept. If you do it, if you put in the time, put in the hours, you know, you're tough on yourself, it really is very likely to pay off. Yeah. And then once you really start the scrappy beginning stages of your company or your business and you start getting clients and you start seeing some success, how do you scale? Because I think that's also a, a pain point for a lot of people. The way you scale a company is not by being the only salesperson or the main salesperson. And I think that's super important because I know so many entrepreneurs who have these amazing ideas and even these great products, these great services, but they are the salesperson. They will only be so big. So after you've killed yourself to sell, 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 to get to a certain revenue level to hire that first person, focus on hiring salespeople and making that really what your focus is, building ideally a world-class sales organization, but making that the goal as soon as you can afford to hire salespeople, that's the most important place to put your money, sales and marketing expenses, because then through that, they will get the revenue that then makes it so you can pay to get the job done. But getting the revenue is the most important part. So I think that's very important. So focusing a lot on that. And one other very important piece of it when you're hiring these people is incentivize them financially so they want to do this. So make it so they are very incentivized to sell. So ideally with a low draw, but if they make and beat their goals, they make more commission and more money than they would elsewhere in the industry or even possibly in any industry. That's very important because then you're paying them like an owner. And that's super important. And then the last piece of it, because this makes such a difference, making it so when they sell, you know, what a lot of sales team, the way a lot of sales teams are play, paid, they make one amount the first year and then it goes down if it's for that same client the second year and the third you're, and I don't believe in that. I keep paying that same level of commission every year, year one, year five, year 10 for that given client, and they will be incredibly incentivized. And getting back to the title of your book, which is Dream Big and Win, you talk a lot about goals. And what is your personal strategy for that? I think having a big end goal is so important. You know, having a vision for what you want to be, because First of all, you know why you're doing the work every day. And then you can share it with your team and say, this is our goal. And then it is a case of breaking it down into parts. When we started, I didn't know exactly what the goals were going to be each day, each month, 
<laughs> each quarter, each year. But the point was we had them, and it was really a learning by doing situation to get there, putting in the time and doing the tasks. In the early days, the goals related largely to 300 phone calls and the 300 letters because I quickly saw with a certain volume of those, we were going to get projects. Yeah. And projects were going to turn into multiple projects, which were going to turn into relationships if we did the right thing. But I think as far as breaking it down, you figure out how you're going to get your long-term goal as you go through the process. I think the important thing is focusing on the actions and making sure you hold yourself accountable for doing the actions. And the same thing with your team so that they are held accountable and having them give you end of day reports. I think it, it makes it so everybody is held accountable. And then you figure out exactly what the goals are going to be each year. We revisited them each year. So that worked out very well. That's great advice. And then something that obviously people don't like to talk about is sometimes failure. And it doesn't have to necessarily be failure. It could be that you're ready to move on. Maybe you've built your company and people are interested and want to take it over. How do you know it's time to move on to something else? It's so hard to know. I mean, it, it worked out well for me, but I can't say I ever knew the exact number of years. I never planned it. I did know I had this goal. I wanted to create the largest in the industry, as I said. And, and the timing worked out quite well because we started in 1992 at the end of 2017. That was when we reached the goal, largest in industry. And then I sold in 2018. But that was actually my good fortune because uh, there were other things going on at my company that made it. So it was the time. How do you know when it's time? Some people have a certain revenue goal or certain valuation they want. And when they can sell for that number, they want to do it. But it's a great question. I think it so much depends on the person or if they just think, okay, I've had enough. I want to try something new. Those would be the reasons. You learn a lot about yourself when you're starting your own business and running it. And there's one person that I remember talking to, and it was just basically, I'm really good at creating ideas and starting companies. I don't like running them. They like the buildup, and then it's sort of like, then I need the off-ramp. That's a great answer. It's not for everybody. One of my last questions is for people who are struggling right now, if people maybe they do have a company that they're trying to get off the ground or if people are in their job search, they can have a rough day, rough week, rough month. What is your words of advice that you learned along the way that when you had a tough day to sort of get back up again? Yeah. And I remember there were so many tough days. There were so many. I think there were a lot of times it was frustrating. You know, you want to cry, you want to pull your hair out, but you think, but this will pay off later. And I'd rather be in this situation where it's all on me and I'm shooting for the stars or shooting for my goals or living my dream than someone else controlling what I'm doing. And even if it's not going well today, tomorrow's another day I can fix. If it's too big, too much work, I can scale it back. If the culture is not right, if the employees that are working for me aren't right, I can let them go. Or if I'm not selling enough I can keep talking to people, try new things. You know, I think the answer is just stay with it. Don't quit. Be persistent. Persevere. Because I do think people who stay with it and don't quit either within the company that they've founded, if they stay with it when others don't, when the competitors don't, they end up surpassing them. Or if for whatever reason the company falls apart, that's okay. You learned a lot. You 
had a great experience, and then you try something new. If it makes anybody feel better, I mean, there were so many times it was frustrating. It was crazy. I was burnt out, and I had to step back, and then you get back in there, and, and it gets better again, for sure, and it totally pays off. Yeah. And before we go, I and I know we touched on it briefly, and you mentioned the idea of giving back later on like no one can, and you obviously do that. And I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit about your foundation, because it seems to do so much. You serve as a mentor for so many people. Can you tell us a little bit about the work you do now? Thank you for asking. So I focus on a number of things. I think during the years I was an entrepreneur, I saw a lot of issues. We all do over the years whether it was issues with sexism, you know, discrimination, um, people from diverse communities not being treated right, marginalized community not having a fair shot. So what I do now is I do a lot of work with education and funding scholarships. That's one thing I do, and I do it for women and people from marginalized communities. I also focus a lot on helping support and empower entrepreneurs and funding entrepreneurs. And I do both of these things I mentioned with Trinity College, where I went to undergrad. I'm on the board of Trinity, and I'm involved in a number of women's causes and entrepreneurship causes at Trinity. And then I also do it at NYU Business School, where I went, and I'm on the board there as well. And I'm involved in something called Endless Frontier Labs, which is NYU Stern's accelerator program, but it's for anyone. You don't have to go to NYU. You don't have or have ever gone to NYU to be a part of it. And we have entrepreneurs from all over the world. And I end up being involved in it and funding women-led companies. Also very involved with American Heart Association. And most recently, I'm involved with Go Red for Women for many years because heart disease is the number one killer of women and men. Also, I'm involved in their social impact fund now and funding people from marginalized communities, entrepreneurs who are helping in their communities basically address heart disease. Also, cancer, involved in a number of cancer foundations, Breast Cancer Research Foundation, Gabriel's Angel Foundation, Lymphoma and Leukemia Society, and uh, International Waldenstrom Foundation. Then also, just a couple more things I'll tell you, um, because they're not as directly related to women and marginalized communities and entrepreneurs, but I've come across them. And once I do, it's hard not to focus on them. One is the campaign against hunger. How is it fair that some people can't even pay for their meals? And then finally, maybe the biggest issue of all right now, the gun safety issue. So anyway, involved in a bunch of causes. I care so much about all of them. I'm just trying to help make it so people who are less fortunate than I was. And, you know, it's not fair what you're born into. And, and it's important that everybody has a fair shot. So that's what I'm focusing on. Yeah. And also, it's wonderful to do the work now so you can give back later like no one else can. And you're really living that. And thank you so much for giving back in this conversation. It's been one of my favorite of the year. Oh, thank you so much, Andrew. Well, mine too. I've loved talking to you. That was Liz Elting, entrepreneur, business leader, founder, and CEO of Elizabeth Elting Foundation, and author of Dream Big and Win, translating passion into purpose and creating a billion-dollar business. Remember, it's up to you to put her advice into practice. Still, you always have a community backing you up and cheering you on. Connect with me and the Get Hired community on LinkedIn to continue the conversation. Also, if you liked this episode, please take a moment to leave us a rating on Apple Podcasts. It helps people like you find the show. 
And don't forget to click the follow, subscribe, or whatever other button you find to get our podcast delivered to you every Wednesday. Because we'll be continuing these conversations on the next episode, right here, wherever you like to listen. Get Hired is a production of LinkedIn News. This episode was produced by Alexis Ramdow. Rafa Faria is our associate producer. Asaf Gidron engineered our show. Joe Georgie mixed our show. Dave Pond is head of news production. Enrique Montalvo is our executive producer. Courtney Coop is the head of original programming for LinkedIn. Dan Roth is the editor-in-chief of LinkedIn. And I'm Andrew Seaman. Until next time, stay well and best of luck.